Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, it is Sunday morning, day two of the Arena Open. Both you and I are qualified. We've done our drafts, and I'm still <laughs> not sure who won day one, us or the Arena Open. Oh, I definitely, definitely <laughs> solidly scoring one point in the column for the Arena Open. I, I was purely defeated and just like kept checking Twitter and seeing all of these people just with their like, made it in on my first run. Ooh, super easy. La la la. And I'm just like five, three, five, three, six, three, one, two, oh, two, five, three. Just I think I I lost count. Honestly, I think eight or nine bullets is what it took me on my allegedly last run. You messaged me at like 10 o'clock. You're like still going. I was like, yeah, I'm going to do one more. My pool is bad and i just got there with some stupid boros aggro deck i never want to look at a sealed pool of dominaria united (laughs) ever again how about you how'd it go for you no i feel that as well i was scared to ask a total number here on the podcast so you think you think eight or nine bullets eight or nine yeah eight minimum i think i think it's nine i think it's nine and honestly your last deck looked great to me like you messaged me afterwards after you had said the deck was terrible and it was like a really tight red white aggro deck and honestly the meta felt super aggressive to me compared to the sealed testing I did. Did you experience that at all? Yeah, I wonder if I shot myself in the foot. So, you know, the if you want to make day two, if that's what you care about, which is what you and I care about, you want to play best of one because you have a better chance of qualifying um, that way. If you care about like gem EV or anything like that, I think you're supposed to play best of three. And all of my prep was best of three. And I wonder if there was something slightly different there, but I agree. It felt a little different than my testing. What was your experience? I tested in best of one some. I just played against so many good aggro decks. Like I I felt miserable playing good domain decks. Just felt absolutely miserable playing good domain decks because you just auto lost two good draws from red white decks and black white decks. And then that was a loss. Like you just couldn't face (laughs) three aggro decks in your run. And then sometimes your deck pooped out once. It was weird. Well, certainly you couldn't face those decks if they won the die roll as well. Like that felt very important. If they're aggressive and you're playing tap lands, that is a recipe for disaster. But yeah, I I agree that like I didn't see a lot of aggro decks in my pools like that one felt like an anomaly. But also the aggro decks that I saw weren't filled with a lot of clunkers. You know what we were saying, like don't put a lot of filler two drops in those aggro decks. I wasn't seeing that from the aggressive decks I was facing. I agree. There were good aggressive decks and like good tokens, heroic charge decks. I just got beaten down in some of my losses. Like my I did four attempts. I got home at 1 a.m. from marching band. That was oh when my, my arena open started. <laughs> I built a pool, immediately got smashed, dropped, built another pool, got smashed round one, dropped, built a third domain pool. All three of my first three pools were domain with like 10 duels, like everything you'd want to open. Just like right. super high power level. But because I was starting so late, I mean, some of those early ones might have gotten there, but I just felt like I had to drop after one loss if what I cared about was queuing. <laughs> yeah, uh, that that late. So my third domain deck, I went five, three, couple losses to aggro on the way, just like silly things like my opponent going Neshoba Brawler into Neshoba Brawler with like four land types <laughs> and then oh hitting their fifth land type on the next turn. Just ridiculous curve outs. 
Uh, And then I finally got there on my fourth try at uh, wrapped up at 4 a.m. and had a really good blue black deck. Nice. Yeah, I saw that that post you sent it to me and I saw it on Twitter as well. That deck looked tight. You had a what cruelty of Gix at the top plus the the mythic sphinx with domain. Yeah, the deck was ridiculous. Just everything you would want in a blue black control deck. Yeah, seemed awesome. Well, congrats on your qualification and good luck to you in your run after we uh, after we record today. But we are recording on Sunday morning. We've done our drafts and now it's time to talk about pick orders. I think, you know, we keep talking about pick orders shifting and what that means and and how do you navigate drafts and why pick orders go out the window, but we haven't really dived into the specifics of that. So that's what we're going to focus on today. We're going to focus on pick orders in general. And I'm going to be honest, we can just sort of put it all out there. Ben sort of just put some rough show notes together as you heard. He had, he had a he had a busy day yesterday. He uh, he messaged me. He was like, just like sort of put some stuff together. And at the top, he wrote, honestly, would prefer some loose bullet points for the theoretical stuff that we know we want to hit. But I think the episode could be way sweeter if we just go off each other. And I really took that to heart. And I decided to add <laughs> nothing to the show notes since I was playing about nine hours of magic yesterday. I felt bad. I went over to a friend's house and it was more it was like a Netflix and chill kind of day with a few friends. But I was just on my laptop the whole time, just like destroying my gems and going five three five three six three yeah so uh so that was my day yesterday but i think i think we have some really solid bullet points and i am excited about these episodes where we get to bounce off each other yeah absolutely all right so first things first a couple of housekeeping things we got to talk about the patreon page patreon.com slash lords of limited that's where you can go to give back to the show if you so choose the way patreon works for the amount that you give back to the show there are different reward tiers in terms of what you get access to from us whether that's just the discord whether that's access to the episode in a day it whether that's access to the episode a day in advance, ad-free, or whether that's something like monthly coaching sessions with me and Ben, if you go all the way up the ranks of the reward tiers. There's a lot of sweet stuff over at the Patreon page. And just got to say that the Discord is an awesome place to be for weekends like the Arena Open, for getting help on your sealed pools, for getting help on your what's the builds after your drafts. It's just an incredible community of like-minded individuals who all want to get better at Limited and all like eat, sleep, and breathe Limited 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And we got some new folks to welcome in to the discord this week so we are welcoming pepin matt gregory bloody bones joseph daniel justin miata jordan neil logan petter and nick thank you thank you thank you we really appreciate your support yeah cannot say thank you enough and we've got some important stuff to talk about in this next spiel so if you normally glaze over while i'm talking here listen up folks we got some important information so cfb and tcg have kind of merged as you've heard and as we've been talking about on the podcast so we are officially going to be directing you to tcg player now for all of your purchases and as a huge way to support the podcast and one big part of this is that starting the day this episode is released october 3rd channel fireball pro subscriptions are ending so if you're on like a monthly subscription that's going to end if you've paid for a year they're going to refund your remaining amount and your subscription is going to be canceled and All of those CFB Pro benefits are now going to be merged into TCG Player's subscription service. And so what that means is you're going to get all of TCG Player's subscription, plus the CFB Pro articles that we put out every week, plus all the videos that we're going to continue to put out for free, all that sort of stuff. But if you had a CFB Pro subscription and you want to continue getting that stuff, you need to sign up for a TCG player subscription. It's not like you're going to get hit with a double whammy, like CFB Pro is just done and you're going to want to change that subscription over to TCG. And as part of all that, we normally don't have a huge call to action for our listener base, but we're going to need your help. Right, Ethan? We're going to need some steps from you folks. So so pay attention. I feel like you're on an infomercial here. You're like, but wait, there's more. (laughs) 
Yeah. So what we're going to do is everyone has a link. You're going to be hearing about links from limited resources. You're going to be hearing about links from all your favorite content creators. So rather than a checkout code, we all have links, which are kind of long and clunky, which is not great for podcasting. So what we've decided to do is we're going to embed that link in our lordsoflimited.com website, which is also a great reason to send you to lordsoflimited.com if you've not been over there. There's tons of great resources on the website. You can get merch. We've got our tier list over there. There's links to the Patreon, all that sort of stuff. So if you go to lordsoflimited.com, there's tabs at the top. And if you click support, there will be a very clear link there that will take you to the TCG Player website. So that's what all these links are going to do um, is you'll just click the link and it'll go to TCG Player. But on TCG Player's end, it allows them to track that you came from Lords of Limited, for example, which then helps us a lot because I think they're going to use data to kind of track how the content creators are helping you know, send people their way, which is great on their part. But we really want to show them that our listener base is incredible and that we can send folks their way. So if you would please, when you do anything at tcgplayer.com, first go to lordsoflimited.com, click the support tab and click that link there. And we will also, I believe, Ethan, embed the same link in our show notes where you download the episode. He says, I believe, Ethan, because that means, Ethan, you'll do this, right? And the answer (laughs) is, absolutely. (laughs) the answer is, yes, I will do that. Great. I'm glad we got a, a honey-do list relationship going here. This is so, wait, wait, but so now I need to know, I always knew you were done with the blurb because you would say, and use code LOL at checkout. What's my new cue? I don't know. We're going to have to figure it out. I feel very uncomfortable right now, but wait, <laughs> there's still more. <laughs> okay. So in case you didn't know, TCG Player Subscription Service is now going to include all of CFB Pro's benefits, including all those articles free shipping and tracking on all TCG Player direct orders, store credit on all TCG Player marketplace orders over $35, and some subscriber-exclusive bonus bucks, promotions, and much more. So please, for anything you're doing for... So please, for anything you're doing, whether you're purchasing singles, whether you're purchasing some sealed product, whether you want access to all those articles on the TCG Player subscription service, please go over to lordsoflimited.com, click that support tab, Follow the link there to the TCG Player website. You'll love to see it. Great. Clean, clear, easy peasy. All right. So we we hopped on the call this morning and Ben was like, I had a pretty tough draft. I kind of want to take a look at it for the roundtable. So I'm going in blind with you folks here. Ben, I'm ready to take a seat. Pack one, pick one. Day two of the arena open. Went to bed at 4 a.m. Woke up at 9 a.m. <laughs> You are ready to draft. <laughs> All right. Commons in consideration. I think there's really only a couple there's Extinguish the Light as 2BB Instant, Destroy Target Creature or Planeswalker. If its mana value is 3 or less, you gain 3 life. There's an Essence Scatter, 1 in a blue Instant, Counter Target Creature spell. And there's an Archivian Cavalier, 2 in a white for a 2-2 Enlist. When it enters the battlefield, make a 1-1 white Soldier Creature token. And then moving into the Uncommons, only one Uncommon in consideration. It's Weather Seed Treaty. It's a good one. 2G for a Saga. Chapter 1, search your library for basic land card. Put it on the battlefield tap. Chapter 2, make a 1-1 green sapling creature token. And Chapter 3, target creature you control gets plus X plus X and gains trample until end of turn, where X is the number of basic land types among lands you control. And then the rare in the pack, Defiler of Flesh, 2BB, 4-4 Menace. This is a black defiler, and so you can cast black permanent spells cheaper by paying two life, and whenever you cast a black permanent spell, target creature you control gets plus one plus one and gains menace until end of turn. I also opened a defiler of a different color, the white defiler, and I also did not take it. Pack one, pick one. Spoilers! Um, spoilers! So, what do you mean spoilers? We're supposed I'm about to talk to, through. The I'm, listeners well, don't know that I didn't pick the, it yet. The other thing I wanted to say <laughs> is that you only, you shouted out one uncommon there's a second uncommon worth shouting out. Oh my god, please don't. <laughs> Yosha declares war, baby. <laughs> Not even close to in consideration. I have I have changed shifted from being the black white expert to being just the 
the worst drafter in the world who has to explain every time someone comes into their chat why I'm picking Yosha Declares War. And I was like, the Lords of Limited tier list said I had to. That's, that's all. That's all I know. Um, yeah, I think this is this feels honestly to me like a pretty clear weather seed treaty. The weather seed treaty is definitely better than all. You know, if we're talking about as a segue to our episode, we're talking about mental pick orders here. I just I just know in my head, weather seed treaty is better than all the commons in my mind. I like extinguish the light. I like essence scatter. I'm kind of off Argivian Cavalier these days. Like, I'm not mad first picking Light or Essence Scatter, though I think I would take Defiler over Extinguish the Light if we're talking about black cards. But I like the Weatherseed Treaty so, so much. It does exactly what Green wants to do. It's got the domain stuff. Like, all three chapters are relevant. Um, it's good in the aggressive versions, good in the controlling versions. I think Treaty is a slam dunk here. I'm glad to hear you say it was a slam dunk. I was very torn between Defiler and Treaty because I think much like we're about to talk about with pick orders, I think pack one, pick one here, whether you take Weather Seed Treaty or Defiler of Flesh, your pick orders shift drastically and the archetypes you're likely to end up in look very different after your pack one, pick one here. I mean, if you take Weather Seed Treaty, you're going down a green route, you're going to value dual lands a little bit higher. You've got outs to be that red green aggro deck. If you take Defiler here, your deck is much more likely to end up in a streamlined black archetype, and you're going to be valuing Phyrexian Ragers. You're going to be valuing Eerie Soul Tenders much higher. And I think you have much more higher chance of ending up in black white or black red. Like basically happy with any of the black color pairs if I start with Defiler. And I thought those were more likely to be underdrafted in the open than domain. I think Defiler of Flesh is fine. It suffers from a couple problems in my mind. One is that it's a four drop, and four drops are plentiful in this set though this is you know a four four with menace with upside makes your other cards cheaper is good the issue i have with it is that it's you know its effect is aggressive and black decks so there's certainly flavors of black white that are aggressive certainly i've been drafting a lot of rakdos recently which is weird but certainly those decks can be aggressive but what black does i think best is grind right soul tender necromass etc like herborg repossession is the hotness and i think for good reason so i don't know i, I think weather sea treaty just like is exactly what green decks want to do and does it better than so many cards there's so many things to unpack here this format is so good so first of all you mentioned herborg repossession being the hotness and i think that is true and there's people good drafters talking about herborg repossession being one of the most important cards in the set you have to draft in such a way as to make Herborg yes. Repossession one of the best cards in the set. It is not intrinsically one of the best cards in the set. So like that requires a very specific set of pick orders and pick orders changing. And if you're putting Herborg Repossession high in your pick orders, you have to know how to draft that style of deck. I think just giving people the blanket advice, Herborg Repossession is one of the most important comments in the set is very dangerous. And I think likely to lead average or slightly below average drafters down a really weird path. So that's one really cool thing about what you just said. And secondly, I, am, I hear you on all the black grinding well. I'm kind of a believer in Phyrexian Rager and the black stream aggressive decks like the black white and the black red so i'm surprised to hear you say if you're drafting a lot of black red that you don't like black being proactive i didn't say i don't like black being proactive i i, I may, maybe misspoke i think like black red can certainly be proactive and black white can certainly be proactive but like 
black green isn't blue black isn't and i think one of the cool things about black white and black red is that it doesn't have to be that there are different flavors within it that it like depending on what you get it can grind so i'm still firmly on the eerie soul tender camp in terms of if i'm whatever i'm taking as my three drop of choice and i just think like the four drop slot being contested is, is an issue like i said i think defiler would be in my mind the second best card out of this pack though i think if you had a proclivity for blue you could be like i want to take essence scatter over defiler i don't think that's crazy to me but yeah like i said weather seed treaty is like pulsing on my screen right now pick me pick me (laughs) well i'm glad to hear you think i landed on the right pick then you can weigh in as well listeners so moving on to pack one pick two see the following cards as options there's two dual lands that immediately jump out as just good cards plus skyrocketing up your pick order once you have weather seed treaty so there's wooded ridge line that's the red green and tangled islet the blue green and then other cards that stand out in the pack really only the uncommon to me which is cut down black instant destroy target creature with power and toughness five or less here's a question for you where are you at on cut down versus tribute to urborg pack one pick one. Oh, tribute to urborg not particularly close for me okay cool yeah i think that's where i should be at but i am not that's i think that was why uh team draft pack one pick one i think was cut down versus tribute versus a handful of other cards and i i landed on cut down like a fool then but yeah i i think here i like taking one of the two green lands i'm never quite sure on which i should take because i can see a case for both wooded ridgeline because red green is a nice base for both the aggressive and even some of the controlling decks, depending on what you get. And Islet is really good because green blue is probably the best domain base. So was that your thought process here? Yeah, I just kind of a toss up. I like blue a little better than green. And I I think I'm usually more splashing red than I am base red. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, we have so much to get to. I don't want to spend much more time on this (laughs) log. Honestly, like pack one, pick three, there's a Sacred Peaks over like a Walking Bulwark and a Jota the Unifier if you wanted to go super spice land, but I was not feeling that brave. I, I took the Sacred Peaks and then just some more lands coming here and then kind of end up solidifying myself in a walls package like walls was very open and i set myself up to if a wing mantle chaplain had been opened i would have been able to play it and it would have been awesome but no wing mantle chaplains made their way to me despite uh, lots of defenders coming my way and me snapping them up yeah and we'll have a chance to chat a little bit more about like domain pick orders as we get to a couple draft logs later on so not to worry listeners we'll be reviewing a lot more drafts in this episode but first thing we're gonna take a quick ad break and then we'll be back to get to the meat of the episode Today's podcast is brought to you by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. HelloFresh lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and makes home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. Okay, real talk. I have been hoping for a long time that our podcast would have the opportunity to work with a meal delivery service, and I'm super excited that it's HelloFresh. So as you all know, when it comes to magic, Ben and I could not be more similar, but when it comes to cooking, we could not be more different. I love to cook. And I don't as much for a couple (laughs) of reasons. One, time is a huge constraint for me. I just generally don't have a lot of time in the day to take the time to prepare food and I'm cooking for one. It's just generally kind of a hassle, but also I'm a little overwhelmed when it comes to cooking. I'm not confident and it's pretty daunting. Like I'm okay if I have very straightforward instructions on what to do, but just the idea of cooking is overwhelming to me. Yeah, and I think your experience is very similar to a lot of our listeners, to a lot of my friends as well. And I think that's one of the reasons why HelloFresh is so awesome, right? You get these pre-measured meal kits right to your door. So you don't have to come up with, what am I gonna cook this week? What recipe do I need? I go to the grocery store and then you're buying too much, right? It's pre-portioned for you. So you have like, 
two servings, so one for you, and then leftovers later, dinner the next night, whatever. So that's super awesome. So it's approachable, and you don't have to spend all that time during the day going to the grocery store, right? I had roommates a few years ago, they were dance instructors. So they worked from like one in the afternoon to 10 at night. They would get home at like 11 or midnight. You know what they don't want to do at midnight is go grocery shopping <laughs> and then like have to figure out what they're going to cook. So HelloFresh was a great solution for them. You can choose from a variety of meal plans to feed your needs. I chose fit and wholesome for myself and for Ben, quick and easy. How'd I do? Great. <laughs> Go to HelloFresh.com slash LOL65. Use code LOL65 for 65% off plus free shipping. That's 65% off plus free shipping if you use code LOL65 at HelloFresh.com slash LOL65 and see why HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. And now back to the show. All right, Ben, since you put together these loose bullet points, do you want to kick us off with the first one? Yeah, I think we should just start talking about pick orders in general in sort of a a theoretical sense. And I think the first thing you have to do is you have to have a mental pick order list. Like you should have a tier list in your head that has all of the cards in the order that you value them. And for this format, I would imagine lots of very good players tier lists look very different depending on where you want to end up or where you expect to end up. So I think it's important to talk about like what that means in a general sense and what that means specifically for Dominaria United, because I think the answers to those are slightly different. Or I think, you know, one answer is is larger and the other answer will, you know, narrow us in a little bit on what we're talking about in in these months. So the first thing about having a mental tier list Ben does not mean, or I should, uh, maybe I won't speak for Ben, but what I'll say is (laughs) he doesn't mean, like, when I think of a tier list, I think of the 17 lands, you know, Excel spreadsheet type thing where you can drag things to the the C column or the the C minus row or whatever. And and then you got white, blue, black, red across the top, etc. He doesn't mean, like, have that and go into your, like, Sherlock Holmes mind palace (laughs) and, you know, know exactly where you put all those cards in relation to each other. Am I right? That's not what you're talking about. No, it's more that when you see a pack of magic cards, you could very quickly go like one, two, three, four, five. These are the cards that matter. These are the order I value them. Exactly. And so I think how you get to that, how you get to a shortcut of that is I think at a minimum, you want to have some ranking of your top commons in each color. In this format, I think that very quickly becomes contextual and you're often taking higher rarity cards early in the packs or their lands and lands add a whole other layer of, uh, of stuff to pick orders, which we'll, we'll chat about in just a second. But you want to have an idea of, you know, your top common in each color, top two commons in each color and where, and, and then what the cutoff is for commons to uncommon. So you just heard me say, Oh, I'll take the weather seed treaty over every common in the set. So I have a, you know, a general idea. I don't honestly, I don't even know what I think the top common in the format is, but you know, it's something in the realm of, you know, there's Talarian geyser, there's take up the shield, there's eerie soul tender, there's lightning strike, there's, I don't know, root slash green lands. Here's the take. We keep saying it doesn't matter. And I do think that's true, but here's a way to frame why it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the number one common is. What matters is the best commons for the archetypes you want to try to end up in. Like, so if you want to end up in an Urborg repossession grindy Sultai deck, you're going to value Urborg repossession really highly. If you really like the white tokens decks or the white beatdown decks, you're going to value take up the shield really highly and take it over. There's like a lot of very good commons that go in a lot of very different directions. And you just need to take the ones that 
steer your ship towards where you want to go in this format. Yeah, yeah, that's a much cleaner way, as often Ben is able to do, a much cleaner way of saying what I was trying to say. So yeah, you want to have that sort of checklist of, okay, these are the the commons and where I think they go, and maybe you give weight to wait early in the draft to commons that go in more decks, a variety of decks. Again, you heard me shout out, well, Weatherseed Treaty is great, not only because it's so good for domain decks, it's what Green wants to do, but so good in the two styles of domain decks, right? It's good in the aggressive versions and good in the controlling versions. Whereas, you know, something like Defiler is more narrow because you know, you want to be in a heavy black deck, so you take advantage of its cost reduction ability. You want to be in an aggressive deck, so you can take advantage of the trigger of plus one, plus one, and menace until end of turn. So already, you're thinking about, you know, this this pick order thing, or as you say a little later, the you know, raw power versus potential power. The potential power aspect of things is about what deck is the best deck for the card I'm about to pick. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to end up in that deck, but having that as an idea is so important as you go pick by pick in this format. Right. And it's it's very important to have that accurate as well. Like if you're wrong about your <laughs> tier list, sure. or if you're wrong about a card's potential power, you're going to lose a lot. And that's where you end up in the spots where like, I just keep losing and I don't know why. And it's not always just because your tier list is wrong, but it's almost always for me personally, when I'm starting a format poorly, my mental ranking of the cards is incorrect as to how they should actually be valued. And that just will lead to losing decks. If you're off there, that leads to losing decks because you are taking cards earlier than other people that are quote signals to you or, you know, role players to you in certain styles of decks. And you are passing up on cards that are actually important to certain styles of decks or role players or signals or whatever. So if your tier list slash pick order is out of whack or out of sync with what's actually happening in the format, that's going to lead to losing decks for you. Right. So we've got that initial framework of pick orders of cards. And I think there's kind of two measurements there. There's you know the actual power of a card. You know, you put it on quadrant theory. Does it score well? Is it a good magic card that goes in a variety of decks? And then there's potential power of cards as well. And I think the potential power of cards, and you could say synergy, you could say whatever you want, but there are ways to up the power level of a card. And that's when and why and where and how your pick orders change most commonly. So for example, something like Banalish Sleeper, it's not a good magic card when you put it on quadrant <laughs> theory. Like one in a white, three one, if you can kick it, you, know, you do an edict effect. That's fine like totally fine. But in the black white deck where Banalish Sleeper is good, where you've got cult conscripts and you've got Archivian Cavaliers to make one ones laying around and you're planning on beating down with your little tight black white deck, Banalish Sleeper is irreplaceable in that archetype and it's going to do way better for you than splashing the best card in the set, for example. So you need to take Banalish Sleeper appropriately highly once you know you're in that archetype. Now, knowing all that stuff is hard, but that's an example of thinking about potential power of a card. I also want to throw out a thought here that just came to me. So there's there's raw power, there's potential power, and I think potential power could sort of be wrapped up in this something I maybe want to call practical power, which is the relative power of a card in that set. So like Lightning Strike is a very powerful card, I think in general. On raw power, it scores quite highly. I think in this format, it actually scores a little lower for me, partially because of where red lands, right? If red were a more desirable color or a less narrow color in my mind in the format, Lightning Strike would live a little bit higher. But currently, it lives a little bit lower because I know what it means in terms of the navigation of the draft, right? If I end up in a base red deck, that's going to often need to be supported more by uncommons or rares than it's going to be supported by 
commons because lightning strike is sort of head and shoulders above those. Love that practical power. We're all about the alliteration here on Lords of Limited. So there's other reasons why your pick orders change too that we should shout out as well. And these other ones are more format agnostic, right? Your pick orders are going to change the later you go in a draft. I think that is just something true, right? Like the deeper you go into a draft, the more your pick orders are going to be changing. Like it's probably not exponential, but it is certainly going upwards that your pick orders are changing as the draft progresses. And it's for things like, do I have removal? No. Do I need removal? Yes. Well, then I have to shift removal up in my pick order, like later in the draft. Or is my curve bad? Like, do I have a lot of top end and need low drops? Well, if so, I might have to take low drops higher than some high drops that I would want to pick or vice versa. Do I have like, you know, a lot of cheap removal and I just need finishers? If so, I maybe need to shift finishers up in my pick order over some other streamlined commons. And then you have to also be able to factor in while you're doing those kinds of pick order things, how much equity you're giving up in terms of the raw power of cards, right? Or the potential power of cards. Because you didn't take removal at some point in the draft, are you having to give up on an awesome card to take a removal spell in pack three? Well, that's probably not great for you. And then is it still right to do so? Or is that powerful card good enough that you should still just pick it over the removal spell? Like there's so many balancing scales that you need to have going on. It's a really tough thing to do in the abstract. But in practice, I would encourage folks to you'll you'll often hear us do this on the show. We'll, We'll do little thought exercises of like, okay, so you take card X over card Y, but what if card Y were slightly better? Are you still taking card X? So like, like, here's an example. If you started off a draft with a couple week packs, you took a Telerian Geyser pack one, you took an Essence Scatter pack two, and then pick three, you see an Impulse and a Weather Seed Treaty as like the two cards that jump out, right? Weather Seed Treaty being raw power, Impulse being synergistic, going to be good with my blue cards. I personally would take Weather Seed Treaty there as, well, this seems like it's not quite signally because it's only pick three, but this is a really strong card. It's the best card I've seen so far. It's really good in a specific archetype. And so if that's open, I'll be happy I took that. And maybe I can end up in green, blue and play the cards I have. Whereas Impulse has sort of a, a, a lower ceiling but potentially a higher floor in that, you know, it, it pairs well with the blue cards. You, you're starting off with three good spells, etc. But it's interesting if you bump Impulse up to a better card. Like, what if Impulse is Talarian Geyser? Are you still taking Treaty? Maybe. What if Impulse is Talarian Terror? Are you now taking Terror because it's a really good build around and it goes super well with the two blue spells you already have? Or are you still going to take Treaty, which sort of goes in a potentially separate deck? You know, the, like that kind of exercise of like, okay, what if it's this card? What if it's this card? What what threshold do I get to where I start to say, oh, this is actually close, or now I actually want to take the blue card? Those thought exercises are how you start to refine and define your pick order. Absolutely. And I was answering all those questions as you go along. And I think for me, the answer was no, 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 until <laughs> until you got to the Talarian Terror. And then I was like, oh, yeah, baby, you better believe I'm taking a second Talarian Terror over no, no, Weather Seed Treaty there. Your first Terror. You got Geyser oh, first. The Geyser first. Oh, Pay shoot. attention, Ben. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Class is in session. <laughs> but I still think you're taking Terror there. I don't know. If you start with Geyser, maybe I'm still taking Weather Seed Treaty there. Interesting. Yeah, but it's but it's close, right? Like you, you sort of get, like you said, you're sort of like, Easy no, easy no. But once it's terror versus treaty, then it's tough because it feels like the terror is certainly, I would take treaty over terror, pack one, pick one, but the weight of two good blue spells 
already in my pile, right? Something I tell folks a lot is, and something that I don't think is talked about, is that you have to give some amount of weight to the cards you've already drafted, right? There is like a, whatever, sunk cost fallacy thing as well. But there's also a, you know, Talarian Terror by itself is worse than Talarian Terror plus two good blue spells, right? Yes, absolutely. So I think you have to factor that in as well, which is why once you get to the Talarian Terror as an option, then you're like, ooh, well, that's that's at least very close. And I don't know which pick is right. And I think there's another layer here to discuss, which is you're talking about early in the draft, right? Mm -hmm. And so your pick order isn't changing here in this instance because of how good Weather Seed Treaty is, right? So that's higher than those blue cards in your mental pick order. So you're you're taking Weather Seed Treaty so that you open up paths for yourself, right? We did a yes. couple episodes, like we talked about, you know, having multiple paths open and trying to hone in on which one you actually want to go down, you know, towards the end of pack one, midway through pack two, whatever, whatever. But later in the draft, that pick order is going to change if you are in a blue spells deck and you have Talarian Terrors, and you're likely to want Impulse all of a sudden, you know, in pack three in a blue spells deck over Weather Sea Tree. So like over time, the odds that your pick orders are going to shift should go up. Like you should be less willing to have that mental pick order list shift. Like for every subsequent pick you make, the likelihood that your pick order shifting should go up. If that makes sense. It does make sense. It's also hard because the, the pick orders thing, it, it's sort of, there's phases in the draft of how you're utilizing your pick order, right? You're initially using your pick order just for raw power. You're find, finding just the best cards out of each pack. Then as quickly as pack one, pick two, as we will see in some of our examples later, sometimes as quickly as pack one, pick two, things are shifted based on what you've picked already. It's like, well... I think this one card is the best card, but given what I've already drafted, you know, how strong of a build around is it? How much raw power does it have? Like you better bet if I start a draft with Shouldred, I'm going to give a lot more weight to black cards as the draft progresses because I want to play Shouldred. Whereas if I start off with just, you know, Talarian Geyser, I'm not going to give a ton of weight to blue cards early because I just want to feel things out a little bit more. So there's the feeling things out phase. Then there's the, you know, there's two different next phases, which is you're solidly in one color. Then maybe you're solidly in a deck, right? There's a part where maybe you're solidly in one color and you don't know what you're pairing it with. And then once you know what you're pairing it with, once you know what your like archetype is, then your pick order shift to what goes best in this archetype. And then there's sort of this point around pack three where it shifts to what are the holes I need to fill? Do I need lands more for my domain deck? Do I need to pick up removal spells? Do I need to make cards that are for my curve? Do I need more sacrifice fodder? Do I need more sacrifice outlets? Whatever. Like there's these different phases in the draft where your pick order jumps around or you use your pick order in different ways. Yes, absolutely. All of that totally makes sense to me. So going back to DMU specific. I think in this format, which is an outlier compared to most other formats, there are tons of cards that have potential power, which include build arounds at common, like things like Talarian Terror, Necromass, Yavamaya Sojourner. All, all of these cost reduction creatures have tons of potential power if you put them in the right decks. Or the white red tokens cards, you know, Heroic Charge has tons of potential power if you get it in the right archetype, but otherwise is largely terrible. Like there are a lot of cards where only one deck wants this card, but it's very important to this deck. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing that happens with some cards is like they can be good in multiple archetypes or great in multiple archetypes, or they can be good in most of blues archetypes, but like at its best here, right? Like so Battlewing Mystic, for example, the one in the blue, two one flyer, kicker red. If you kick it, you discard your hand and draw two cards. 
best in a low-curve, aggressive blue-red deck, right? But I think also totally fine in most blue decks, right? You want to have access to the kicker, ideally. You want to be able to, you know, have a spot where your hand is empty and you get the draw too. But honestly, a lot of the time, a two-mana two-on flyer, I have found, is pretty darn good in this format. But when you take it, you want to think to yourself, where does this go best? And and does that mean you're going to start to steer towards it? Is it powerful enough to steer towards that? Do you make, you know, some some sacrifices in power level along the way? I don't know. That's sort of up to you and your pick order and the cards you're seeing. But that's another way to think about cards because then there are some cards where it's like, this is only good in one specific archetype, but it's great there, but that makes it more narrow. Whereas if I end up in another version of that color or color pair, I don't want to play that card, you know? Right. And so like general draft philosophy, this is not much to do with pick orders, but early on, you're trying to take those rawly powerful cards that are good in a wide variety of archetypes. And then as you, you know, figure out, okay, I think I'm supposed to be drafting X. That's when you need to know how to try to maximize the potential power of all of the cards. And how do you do that, though? Like, do you just have to know Like, this is the next layer of things, which is now you have to know what all the decks look like and what decks perform well, which is you can't do early in the format, obviously, right? No, but now like you should know or need to be trying to know. And it's it's very different, I think, theoretically and practically. Like if you really want to be good at magic, you need to play a lot of magic. Like I I feel the last two weeks, you know, I draft on Wednesdays for, you know, four hours ish. I, I usually do three drafts on a Wednesday, maybe a draft or two on a Friday. And I play magic on Sundays right now. And I can feel very differently out of touch with the format right now than I did the first two weeks of the format when I was really trying to solve it and had more time and was playing more drafts. So it's very different from knowing in theory and knowing practically. So for example, like you've been drafting black, white, all format, right? So you have a much more intimate knowledge of which cards are important to those black, white decks and which ones are slightly better than others. Like I know what a black, white deck looks like. I've seen tons of your screenshots. I've watched your stream, (laughs) but it's very different when you do it yourself for the first time. Like I played black, white for the first time this week on Wednesday and I three owed with it because I knew in theory what the deck was trying to do. But I also learned a ton about Banala Sleeper and exactly how much I value that card in a black, white deck or Phyrexian Rager and exactly how much I personally value that card in a black, white deck. And I think if you're not trying to make those determinations for yourself, there's ultimately going to be a cap on how good you're going to be on a magic player, right? You're going to be relying on podcasts like us and limited resources and limited level ups to try to tell you what to do. And I think until you take that next step and you really try to figure it out for yourself, you're going to be missing things that are going to help you get to the next level of magic playing. And the very straightforward thing that happens is that you sort of have this idea of, oh, folks said that, you know, this is an extreme example, but you'll be like, oh, Lords of Limited keep shouting out these, you know, signpost commons, the cost reduction creatures. So I'm going to take writhing necromass really highly, but then you don't end up with any graveyard fuel, no eerie soul tenders, no marauding war leeches or whatever. And so you just don't have any way to fuel them. And then your deck is clunky and full of these seven mana, five, five death touches. And you have to have an idea of like how these pieces work together in this format specifically, because everything is so context dependent. There isn't this just like, 
raw power inspiring overseer common that you can rely on. It's all about like, oh, this card goes with this card and this micro synergy and this macro synergy. And that shifts all the things. It's like, oh, once I have Baird, I want to make sure I have all of these pieces that make Baird better. So certainly take up the shield, maybe Griffin Protector. But I'll tell you what's really good is Flowstone Kavu, which has just like impressed me kind of a lot in this format as the the two three for three with menace that uh you can pay a single red to give a plus one minus one until end of turn but that's a single man away to trigger baird every turn for you and so that bumps that card up in your pick order slightly or it's a more exciting card for you to wheel whereas you know other times you might think of it as filler that sort of stuff you like there's just that whole layer of like swirling possibilities for you where things you know bob and weave and shift and go up and down yes absolutely i'm gonna need you to stop talking about flowstone kavu though because i got crushed by that card last night i think it's just good right (laughs) like I'll tell you what else is awesome with it, as I've been dipping my toe into the Rakdos sauce, is Flowstone Kavu plus Battle Rage Blessing, which is another card that I think is just like, Battle Rage Blessing is just the poor person's take up the shield. But guess what? It's pretty darn good still. And with Menace, it's so backbreaking. I had someone double block my Flowstone Kavu with two writhing Necromasses the other day, and I went (laughs) Battle Rage Blessing and killed them both in one fell swoop. It felt awesome. Feels good, man. Yeah. So let's dive into some examples of picks like that you might face early in the format just before we even go into actual draft blocks that might impact how you expect your pick order to change or what that means for the final deck you're going to end up in. So in black, I think Frexian Rager versus Eerie Soul Tender is a really interesting discussion. And it sounds like you're still hard on the Eerie Soul Tender life. I am as well, I think, but it's much closer for me now between Frexian Rager and Eerie Soul Tender. Well, and the other thing is, is I'm not even sure that those are, are those the best black commons? Like what if Tribute to Urborg is in the pack and you're picking between those three? I think a lot of people would take Tribute. Sure, but that's where you want to end up. Like it, one of those is not drastically right or drastically wrong. That's right. such the, that's the cool thing about this format is in Streets of New Capenna, we could say, yes, objectively, this is the pick. And like you can probably get into that in this format, but it's just not worth that much equity to be right on the card that is correct to pick in the format. It is much more important to know how the pick you're making impacts your future picks. So like if you take Tribute to Urborg, Great. That means you want to steer towards a spells control deck or you just value interaction really highly or you expect to want to get into blue. If you take Frexian Rager, you know, you're going to want creatures like Frexian Rager also works with a Necromass thing. It makes it more likely that you're going to want bone splinters down the road. And then Eerie Soul Tender opens up Necromasses, opens up graveyard shenanigans. They all do different things, but they all shift your pick orders in different ways, depending on which one you pick, even in black commons, which is just wild. Right. I think another really interesting example is Argivian Cavalier versus Destroy Evil. Like one is a rock solid role player in these white based go wide aggressive strategies. Another is honestly, I mean, it's good in white decks, but almost more valuable as a splashable strong removal spell in these domain decks. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I don't think there is a right or wrong answer, or you're going to hear people tell you destroy (laughs) evil is the best white common, or you're going to hear people tell you Argivian Cavalier is the best white common. And it just doesn't matter. What it says is Argivian Cavalier, I want to play some sort of white aggressive deck, probably that has a go wide theme. If you take destroy evil, it says I either 
really value this removal spell highly because I think it's a good removal spell, or I like splashing this card in Sultai soup decks that splash white, and maybe you're hoping to have a wingmantle chaplain or whatever. The more important thing might be which archetypes are the best. Now, like that's a conversation you could have. And then I want, I think these cards are better because I want to steer towards these archetypes. Yeah. Like that I would buy for sure, but that's like really getting into the weeds. I think so. Yeah. And, and might shift week to week, right? You know, we don't often talk about this because sometimes formats don't have it, but meta shifts really do play a role in this. You know, when people, I think that the Talarian terror uh, hype is real and has been appropriately registered, at least in best of three, as like, that's a really good card. And it's hard to get multiples of them now. So much so that like, I think those blue decks have taken a knock, but it also means that when you see a Talarian Terror, it almost feels like an uncommon to me at this point because of how good of a build around it is and how much you know it's going to be supported at common that I love snapping it up like that. Yes, like my world was rocked when I came back. I played the format a bunch and then couldn't play much at all one week and came back and I couldn't draft Talarian Terror decks anymore. And I just kept losing over and over again <laughs> because I had been so reliably steering towards that. And then it, that just wasn't a thing anymore. And I just lost so much. Yeah. I had a really interesting pick the other day, which was Talarian Terror versus Balmor, which is the blue red uncommon, the one three flyer. When you cast an instant or sorcery spell, your creatures get plus one, plus oh, and trample until end of turn. Had that pack one pick one. I landed on Terror because I felt like, again, it's they're both strong build arounds, but one goes in all four blue decks and one goes in one blue deck. And so I thought, you know, if I knew I was in blue red, there's a world where I take Balmor over Terror. But early, I think Terror has so much more value because of the paths that it leaves open for you. Right, absolutely. And that's your pick orders changing right there. And that's the sort of thing you have to know, or at least, you know, have in your mind like, okay, I got to this spot and I didn't know what to do. You know, Dave, you heard us talking about that with the, the example I gave with Weatherseed Treaty versus Terror, pack one, pick three with two blue spells in your pile. Okay, I don't actually know what I want to do there. And maybe there isn't a right answer, or maybe the right answer is just so, you know, small, but then it's then it's more about knowing the paths. Okay, if I take this card, that means what? For the future of this draft. If this draft goes the best it can possibly go, what does that mean about the pick I'm going to make? Yes. And so maybe diving into a blue example now. Talus Lookout versus Phyrexian Espionage. I think I would take Phyrexian Espionage first because, you know, what blue wants to do is spells, and that's a spell, and it's a two for one, and that also helps you fuel your spell's life. But Talus Lookout has gone up and up and up for me recently because of how few Talarian Terrors you can get, that when you're in a base blue deck, this is nice as a, an evasive two for one, but it's double blue, right? And so it's like a little bit more narrow in the kinds of decks it goes in. I mean, I guess I would hope to have some context before picking between those cards, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Or maybe maybe a better example is Essence Scatter versus Frexian Espionage, right? Ooh, yeah. One of those goes in like Essence Scatter really is at its best in a blue spells deck, whereas Frexian Espionage is much more applicable to domain decks and just decks that can touch blue to cast the Espionage and like also great in those spells decks, but has a wider variety of applications, I think, than Essence Scatter, broadly speaking, does. I had a really hard pick in the Arena Open Day 2 draft today, which was, so I'm, Blue Red was fairly open for my seat from the jump, I'd say. I, by the end of pack one, I sort of knew like, okay, I'm in the right spot. But I had a pick of Essence Scatter versus Timely Interference. 
And I think in, in raw pick order, I have Essence Scatter ahead of Timely Interference. But in this kind of deck specifically, in a blue-red assertive deck where I had multiple Gitu amplifiers, where I had a Balmor already, I was thinking, I think I actually want the Timely Interference. I want the instant or sorcery I can fire off proactively rather than reactively. So I adjusted my pick order and took the Timely Interference. Yes, great example. All right, so moving on to green, some thoughts here about cards that might change your pick orders. Florifer's Vine Wall versus Gaia's Might versus Yavamaya's Sojourner. Oof. Like those all do drastically different things. Like they're all say domain on them. Well, Vine Wall doesn't. Eh, it might as well. <laughs> I guess that's fair. Yeah. It also says like sad support for Wingmantle Chaplain, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I really would hope to have context before taking any of these cards. But like, what would that context be? Like Floriferous Vine Wall, in my mind, is more of a necessary evil. Uh, than anything else. Like, what am I ideally hoping to have with Fine Wall in my deck? Well, I'm either hoping to have a Walls package, or I'm hoping to be green-black, where I can, you know, have Bone Splinters or Gibbering Barricades to make use of the body that Flurfer's Fine Wall provides after it's found me land. Versus Gaia's Might is going to be best in an assertive deck, and even better in an assertive deck where I can reliably have this as one mana plus four plus four or even plus five plus five similar with sojourner that's going to be at its best in a deck that can drop that for three mana and whether that's you know for three mana on turn three that's ideal but rare to happen but really if you can like double spell because a lot of these domain decks as they're setting themselves up you know they fall behind fall behind but then if on turn six you can do you know removal spell plus drop a four six you are stable Mabel there. So like stable oh, Mabel. <laughs> those are three very different scenarios and three very different pieces of context to have for whether you would want one of those three cards. Right. And I think, well, maybe you have a start where you've got a domain start. You've got a good domain card. You've got some lands. Those say different things about where you want to yeah. end up, which one you pick. Like if you take Vinewall, you're wanting to leave yourself out to Wingmantle Chaplain. Maybe you value the recursion with Urborg Repossession, rebuying Vinewall to help you keep hitting land drops. Or maybe you like pairing it with Gibbering Barricade as, you know, a little body that you can turn into a two for one. You're taking Gaia's Might because you really want to leave yourself out to end up red, green, stompy. Like there's there's all these things that you need to have in mind and just commons that I think steer you towards different decks. And as you steer towards different decks, your pick orders change. Yeah, absolutely. I think the last thing before we get into some actual draft logs here is we've talked about potential power of cards. You have to be able to identify correctly the potential power of a card, like the maximum ceiling of a card when it ends up in exactly the right deck. So stuff like Banalish Sleeper, we've already talked about that. I think that card personally is irreplaceable to black-white decks that are good. I think you need multiple copies of Banalish Sleeper for that archetype to really function at its best. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. You know, the thing that I was cautioning early with Banalish Sleeper was it's embarrassing when you face opposing Argivian Cavaliers. But like, other than that, the card is incredibly punishing to low creature count blue spells decks to, you know, slow out the gate green domain decks that don't have, you know, vine, vine walls are also sort of the bane of Banalish Sleeper's existence a little bit. Um, but the, the ceiling of Sleeper is backbreaking against some strategies. Right. And I think much more likely to be backbreaking than it is to be embarrassing for you. And even if it's embarrassing for you, your opponent is likely also in that same boat or a similar boat. Like it's not right. that punishing to have Banalish Sleeper not be absolutely primo. Cards like Heroic Charge and Keldon Strike Team for those red, white, go wide decks. You know, Keldon Strike Team is a card where like, you don't want to put this in your deck if you cannot kick it, right? So that's, there, there's a certain, certainly a 
floor of this deck where it just ends up in your sideboard. So you have to recognize that, right? You're taking a red card, but what you're really taking is a red-white card. And what you're really taking is a red-white aggressive card. And so you have to understand all of those implications when you take that card. But it's going to be awesome in that deck. It also effectively lives in your five-drop slot. That's another thing you need to think about, right? Because you don't generally want to fire it off on turn three if you don't have to. Heroic Charge is in a different boat in that you don't have to be able to kick it, though you'd like to. But you know that it wants to go in a white aggressive deck and a white go wide deck. Luckily, a lot of what white does is going to do that anyway. So if you end up in a base white deck, you are likely to support heroic charge. Yeah, completely agree. And I think these are the types of cards that are likely to shoot up in your pick order towards the end of a draft. So like, for example, I could see taking Banalish Sleeper over certainly Destroy Evil. Like if you think Destroy Evil is the best white common, or I could see taking Banalish Sleeper over cards like Extinguish the Light or Tribute to Urborg in a black-white deck late in the draft. If you need things in your two-drop slot, there's not much better than Banalish Sleeper. Or if you're red-white tokens, I could see taking Keldon Strike Team late in the draft over cards like Lightning Strike pretty easily. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's totally true. So uh, another card that falls in here is Phyrexian Warhorse. This is similar to Banalish Sleeper in Black-White, where it really only goes in Black-White or Black decks that can reliably kick it. Like, it's fine in a a Black-Green Domain deck that can kick it or whatever, but irreplaceable to decks that want that sacrifice outlet as well. And it's so, so, so important that you could take this later in the draft over all of those Black commons. You know, Extinguish the Light, Tribute to Urborg. Maybe you don't have a graveyard thing going on, so you want Warhorse over Eerie Soul Tender later in the draft, whereas that would never be true early in the draft. I think Myria's Outrider is also a great example. Uh, this is the five mana, four, four with reach, and then Domain domes your opponent when it ETBs. You know, this goes from the floor of, again, I think could be sideboard material. You know, if you've just got a streamlined red-white aggro deck and your Keldon Strike teams are your five drops and you don't have multiple dual lands, Myria's Outrider is not that exciting for you. Whereas it can be a deck's game plan, right? Mul- multiple <laughs> outriders in a deck that's reliably getting to domain four or five, and then ways to recur it or bounce it with geyser and replay it, whatever, like that can just be your deck's plan. So that's a huge delta, right? A gap of this is in my sideboard and I'm a red deck to this is what my deck does. That's huge. And you just have to understand that the picks you make when you have outrider or the deck you have when you draft outrider there's just so many questions about what the the pieces of those puzzles are. And there's too many examples like this in the format for us to go through them all. But the thought processes we're outlining here are what's important and that you need to try to think like this for yourself. And maybe you're going to do it wrong. Like Ethan and I do it wrong all the time. We do it wrong to thousands of listeners all the time. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> that is true for sure. But the important thing is that we're trying to do it And I think we're trying to figure it out with you all as well. And I think you're vocal about when you think we're wrong, which is great, which helps makes us better as well. But the important thing is that you're doing it and you get it wrong and you realize, oh, shoot, I think I was wrong about how good Banalish Sleeper was or, oh, shoot, like I was really overvaluing removal at the start of this format. But that you have those pick order lists and you're constantly just updating your baseline pick orders, but then that you're trying to figure out how they should change as you're drafting, because it definitely should be flexible. All right, we've, we've talked enough in the abstract. Maybe we can give folks a couple concrete examples from some drafts that we've had. Okay, pack one, pick one. You slam a herd migration because it's an awesome rare, very powerful build around and build around cards like this should shift your pick orders. So you're expecting lands to go up and you're expecting domain cards to go up. And this is in a category of cards where this is powerful enough that 
it is very unlikely that I am not going to be playing Herd Migration at the end of this draft. Yeah, it's one of, I think, the top 10 performing cards in the set overall on 17 lands. It's, you know, there's not a lot of rares in the format that I go like Windmill Slam. I want this to be in my deck if at all possible. This is one of those. And it's important to note that like, yes, it is single pipped. And so you might think, I've definitely seen people ask like, oh, I've got a couple, you know, green dual lands. Should I splash herd migration in my blue red aggro deck? No, absolutely (laughs) not. Like if you're maybe gonna get, you know, three, three threes from this card is like the floor. Seven mana for three, three threes is fine. But when you get to four or even five, that's when this card is busto busto. Busto busto. Two bustos out of two. <laughs> All right, moving on to pack one, pick two. You see the following cards as options. There's a Radiant Grove, dual land that we're already shifting up in pick orders here. I think versus something like the next best card in the pack is probably Baird. Red, white for a 2-2. The beginning of your end step, if you control a creature with power greater than its base power, create a 1-1 white soldier creature token. But largely, this is a, a pretty unexciting pack. Yeah, it's interesting to note, like, if Radiant Grove isn't a green dual land, does that change your pick order at all? I don't think so. And another card that I was considering here that I want to shout out is Choking Miasma. Mm. Uh, one black black for a sorcery kicker green. If it was kicked, put a plus one stone counter on a creature you control. All creatures get minus two, minus two until end of turn. I think if you're a domain control deck, Choking Miasma is very good there. Yeah, I think that's that's really true. And, and especially when you have such a powerful top end card like Herd Migration, you know, one of the ways that you can lose is to aggressive decks. And so Choking Miasma really shores that up in a way. But like you're not seeing anything super duper powerful here. Like I think it's again, it's interesting to talk about what if you saw a Micromancer in this pack? Well, then I think you're slamming Micromancer. Right. So that's different than, you know, we're seeing cards that we like, like Baird and Choking Miasma, but nothing is saying like, ooh, pick me, pick me in the way that Herd Migration does. And when you've got a card that supports Herd Migration in such a great way, like the Green-White Duel, I think that makes that a reasonable second pick. Right. Well, and another thing that we've talked about, one of the reasons I wanted to highlight this draft was we've talked about opening up paths, right? Baird would open up another path for you. But do you want to open up another path here, I think? is more the question. And I think the answer to that is no, because of how good herd migration is. Now, like if herd migration is, I don't know, what's some mopey green domain card? If herd migration is territorial marrow here, I think I'm a lot more likely to want to take Baird over Radiant Grove. Yes, because like Morrow's good, but it's not, Again, I wouldn't put it at busto busto. And I think that, again, I'm much more inclined to leave pads open. You know, I, I want to jump over to this draft that I posted right below because I I saw this draft that you put in the show notes and I remembered this one that I had a week or two ago where I took a herd migration, pack one, pick one. And then pack one, pick two, I had a choice between a green black dual land and a Talarian terror. And I opted to take the Talarian Terror as like, I don't anticipate these cards going in the same deck, right? That's a very unlikely scenario where I end up in a deck where both of these are supported. But I think Talarian Terror is a good enough build around that I'm happy to take it here and say, hey, if Green Domain is open, great. I've got a good card for that. And if Blue Spells is open, great. I have a good card for that. And I'm happy with that as a start rather than, okay, I'm going to take Herd Migration and I'm going to take this green-black dual land and I'm all in dealer. I think both of those are totally reasonable choices to make, but you just have to understand what the choice means for the implication of the draft. I'm not taking terror and saying, ooh, baby, I got two great cards here. 
they're going to taste great together. That's not the case here. <laughs> yeah. And I think personally in this choice, I think I would land on Haunted Mire because of how highly I value herd migration and how hard it is to get cut out of a domain deck, right? Of some variety. I think it is largely possible to force a domain deck if you start with a card like herd migration. And I think that would be my plan here rather than opening up paths when when these paths diverge. I like I'm going to keep steering back towards the herd migration, right? Like I feel like taking terror here forces you into spots down the road where you choose between blue spells and domain. And then you're always going to be steering towards domain when you face that choice. Like I've gotten myself into trouble a lot making the Talarian Terror pick here in the past, which is why I'm a little wary of it. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think there's a couple things. One is that it goes back to our sort of like high floor versus high ceiling. Like herd migration has a higher ceiling than terror, but terror has a higher floor in my mind, just purely on the fact that everything that blue does at common supports terror. And I guess in a similar way, herd migration does that, but you're going to need a lot more help. I think at the higher rarities or at least to get lands or whatever to make herd migration work. And I trust myself as a drafter that I'm going to be able to sort of like, you know, uh, bite the bullet at some point in the near future and decide which of these paths. You don't want to be drafting two different decks going into like the middle of pack two or God forbid pack three. Like you're going to have to decide what you're doing at some point, which I do pretty quickly. Like Bob and Weave pick three, take Sprouting Goblin, which pairs with Migration. But then pick four, I get a second Talarian Terror. And that's when I go, I think this feels like a better path for me. Yeah, this is wild. So I just... <laughs> I, I hear you like violently clicking in the background. <laughs> no, that's going to that's gonna all get muted out in, in post-production. But I was like savagely, furiously looking to see how this draft ended up. Like to see what you did. And you ended up in blue-red spells, which is crazy to me. Like I don't think I ever end up there in this seat. I think I go herd migration into Haunted Mire, into Sprouting Goblin, into either Lightning Strike or Dual Land into dual land, into dual land. Like there's just, it's so interesting. So interesting. This format's so good. It's so good. Yeah. I mean, I ended up in a good blue red deck, three O's. Not that like, you know, not that ending up in an open archetype or, you know, trophying gives weight to what's happening here, but just shows that like there's multiple paths diverging as quickly as pack one, pick two. The other cool thing about it is both you and I end up in very good decks. Yes, very functional decks. And it's hard to know like what Ben ends up with in future packs because my first eight picks influence the rest of the table. But yeah, you snap up all those dual lands, you have herd migration and sprouting goblin and you're off to the races. Yeah. All right, this next draft, I think, is a little bit of a different situation. So we're going to check in at the end of pack one here and just kind of think about like how your pick orders are shifting here. So I'm going to quickly run down the cards that you have at the end of pack one. So by color, you are certainly black. You have double extinguish the light in the four drop slot. In the three drop slot, you have Baldubian Atrocity. That's the two three menace with kicker red. You have Eerie Soul Tender, the 3-1 that mills three, Phyrexian Rager, the 2-2 that draws you a card. And then in the two-drop slot, you have a Toxic A-Bomb, the 3-2 that loses two life when it ETBs. Two tributes to Urborg, which are pushing you slightly towards blue or wanting to be able to kick them at least. And then as blue cards, you have Arona's Vortex as your lone blue card, but also the kicker on the tributes. And then white cards, you have Eratodrabic of Urborg. That's the four mana rare, the 3-3 Vigilance Ward 2. Very Ward important two, there. Ward 2, baby. Or yeah. two public service announcement uh, that when your legends die, they come back as two twos. And then you also have a destroy evil and a clockwork drawbridge. So you're looking at 
black. You know you're black. You have a lot of removal. So how do you expect your pick orders to change knowing that, like going into pack two, like this is a lot of good cards with no real plan yet at the moment. Right. And I I think this is such a great, just a a general way to zoom out and just you should all be doing this kind of check-in at the end of pack one. You know, you've got like 60 seconds for your the start of pack two. Take the first 20 or 30 seconds to just take stock of where your draft is at. Ben has already sort of outlined things for us. I know I'm solidly in black. I have an inclination to be a blue control deck because of the two tribute to Urborgs and the Rona's Vortex, but I'm really open to anything, right? You could slant more aggressively and be, you know, a black-white deck with the Destroy Evil and the Extinguish the Lights as your interaction. The tribute to Urborgs, I think, get less good when you're in black-white. You know, maybe you're Ethan and you're trying to steer towards some spicy Legends build with Radadrabic. I think that's going to be unlikely given that you have no fixing at this point. So I think, like, ideally... I want to be blue-black with the start, but I'm open to really any pairing, I guess, other than green, but could even see green being a good pairing here as well. Right, absolutely. And so that's macro, but then just diving down to like more nuts and bolts, I think, if you've got removal spells like this, how are you going to make them better? Like, Talarian Terror skyrockets up in your pick order here. Like, you are taking that card over almost every card in the set with cards that you see here right now, just because of how good it is with the removal. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Because when you have a deck like this, right, when you have, like, removal and card draw, the the longer you want the game to go, you better have reasons (laughs) to have the game go that long. And so maybe if you don't see something as powerful as Talarian Terror, but you end up in a, hey, I've got lots of removal, well, now you need some more two-for-ones, right? You need Phyrexian Espionages. You need Urborg Repossessions and then ways to kick it so you can like maximize the value of the few threats that you do end up with. Right, and two-for-ones, I think that's something that we should just talk about in general with control. Like You want... When you have a lot of one-for-one removal like this, you want two-for-ones to help you, like you use your removal to keep the board clear, which gives you the time to cast your card draw spells, which lets you pull ahead in the card advantage war against your opponent. And then you win with whatever. That's where like the old adage of, well, it doesn't matter what my finisher is in a control deck. Like I'll attack my opponent with a 3-3 until they're dead because I've so thoroughly killed all their threats and drawn so many more cards that they just have no chance to stick anything on the battlefield. So there's that. You could be trying to do that here with Phyrexian Espionages and Shadow Prophecy. It's unlikely, I think, at this point in the format to expect to see like two Talarian Terrors from the start also, which is in the back of my mind. So like, yes, I want to be blue but I'm a little nervous about it. And then I think the other thing you need if you're not going to go down that route is you need creatures. Like this deck either needs to be full control with Talarian Terrors and yeah. card draw like that, or you need you better- to be beating down like with white cards with the Banalish Sleepers or you need black creatures, but you need ways to leverage your removal into tempo to help you get the opponent dead. Yeah, for sure, right? You need threats at this point if you're not a control deck because, you know, you have... Two. You've got like Rager and Soul Tender at this point, basically. Right. And so ended up getting an early Knight of Dust Shadow pack two pick two, and then just some more black creatures, and then ended up pairing it with white and ended up in a very streamlined uh, black white aggressive deck here. And I would say you could probably peg the decision point. You know, you speculate, maybe not speculate is the right word, but you take a Banalish Sleeper pack two pick four, take a land pack two pick five, potentially to splash Urborg repossession that you took in the first pick. And then pack two pick six is where I would say, you decide. When you get the second Banalish Sleeper, that's where, in my mind, if this is my draft, I go, okay, I guess I'm black-white. Like, And that's a late spot to decide, but I think it's important to note those times in your draft, 
right? It usually happens. Sometimes it happens early in pack one or a late pack one. But I think for me, it's usually early pack two in a lot of formats. It's early pack two, pack two, pick two, pick three, whatever, where I go, okay, I'm locked in. I've left myself open to a number of paths. And now this is the path I'm going to go down. Yep, for sure. All right, one last one before we go here. So pack one, pick one, you slam Sphinx of Clear Skies as one of the best mythic rares in the set. It's the three blue, blue, five, five flying ward two that whenever it connects, you reveal cards equal to your domain and your opponent has to do a little mini factor fiction thing and you pick which pile you want. Pack one, pick two, you take a Keldon Flame Sage. That's the two in a red, two, three, and list. Whenever it attacks, you look at the top X cards of your library where X is Keldon Flame Sage's power and you can exile an instant or sorcery with mana value extra less from among them. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order, and you can cast that exiled card without paying its mana cost. So with those two cards in your pile, Kelvin Flame Sage and Sphinx of Clear Skies, you see a choice between Lightning Strike, one in red instant speed deal three, or Wingman Chaplain, three in a white for the O3 Defender. When it ETBs, you make a 1-1 bird creature token with flying for each creature with Defender you control, and then when Defenders ETB, you also make birds. I mean, I maybe think on like face value this is close, but for me, this is just a, a clear wing mantle chaplain because of the ceiling that the card has, right? It's one of the highest ceiling cards in the format. I think we know that at this point. And I recognize that all three of these cards are not going in the same deck, almost certainly, right? Like you could have Flame Sage and Sphinx in the same blue-red aggressive deck. It's really un- unlikely that all three of these cards make their way into a deck at the end that's functional and good. But I'm okay with that because all three of these cards are strong and very likely I'll be able to pair two of them together. Right. And I think your pick orders should not be changing here, right? You should take Wingmantle Chaplain, but it's very tempting to think, well, I should be changing my pick orders as the draft progresses. I've got these two good blue-red cards. I'm probably supposed to take Lightning Strike over Wingmantle Chaplain here and just draft blue-red, you know? And I think that's this is a spot where it shouldn't change. And I think you would be making a mistake by locking in too early there. So what if Wingmantle Chaplain is Neshoba Brawler? Are you taking Brawler over Lightning Strike? I was going to say Weather Seed Treaty, but like similar ideas here. Strong, green, uncommon. No, I would take Lightning Strike here if it's those those cards. Because I've already, like, these are really strong rares. They'll, they'll go best together because I think red's best pairing is red-blue. And Lightning Strike is an awesome card to flip off of Flame Sage. Right. What about, what if it's Night of Dawn's Light? I'm still taking Lightning Strike. Right. Like, so Wing Mantle Chaplain is one of the only cards that you're keeping your pick order static for here because of how good it is on your pick order list. Yes. Right. And it's tough. Like, again, these are all zoomed in examples, and you're going to be faced with choices like this that are very different cards, but similar choices. And I think the thought processes that you hear us going through are very important. And I think you should be trying to do those for yourselves. And maybe in the beginning, you're going to be coming to the wrong conclusions. But just the fact that you're trying to go through that process is already making you a better magic player. Boom. There it is, folks. There it is. All right. Before we go, for real, this link thing is important because I think a lot of you probably have CFB Pro and you're going to be signing up for a TCG player subscription so that you can continue to get access to those articles and things like that. So if you're signing up for a TCG player subscription because you want continued access to articles, please, we would greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate it if you would take the time to go to the Lords of Limited website and navigate to the support tab and go to the TCG player website that way or follow that link that's going to be in the show notes where you download the episode 
so that TCG player can track that our listeners that we sent you over there and that, you know, we've got an awesome community and we can show them that we can send people their direction. This has been a public service announcement from the Lords of Limited. <laughs> All right. Great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thanks so much to TCG Player for sponsoring this podcast. As Ben said, if you want to support the show that way, head on over to lordsoflimited.com slash support. Big, bold link at the top there for any and all of your TCG Player card purchasing needs. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. <laughs>